the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or estate law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. Call him now at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. And Ask the Lawyer. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. This show is about estate planning and elder law. At least the first part of the show is. The second part, we talk about history, politics, religion, nostalgia. And we got a full house tonight. One, I'm accompanied by my son, Michael. Good evening, everyone. And I got two guests here. Colonel's Ryan. So let's make it. <laughs> Dave, why don't you go first? Good evening, everyone. Okay. And Steve? They're listening. Okay, so now first we're going to start a little bit with the estate planning. The idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going to court, that's avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. So, Michael, you're up first. What's our first estate planning question today? All right. Our first estate planning question today is from Tracy. Hello. My mother-in-law passed away. She owned a home that my sister-in-law lives in. My mother-in-law is divorced years ago from my father-in-law, but they lived together in their later years. Can my father-in-law sign her house over to the daughter that lives in the house, or does the house belong to all the children? Well, you know, of course, this is one of the problems with email questions, but I assume that the father-in-law owns a part of the house, if not the whole house, and he can do whatever he wants to do when he's alive. Now, ordinarily, I would recommend that if he's going to transfer his interest, he does it to a trust. So we're protected against the what-ifs, and it goes out tax-free, and we don't have to file gift tax returns. But basically, in the United States, it's still the law. You can do whatever you want with your assets. You know, nothing automatically belongs to anybody. Now, if mom died without a will and she owned half the house, uh, her half would go to her next of kin by law. So, you know, it's, it, it's a question. If we see the deed, we can probably answer that question, you know, pretty quickly. Now, Michael, if somebody wants to email us a question, what, what's the email address? All right, so if you have a question for Ask the Lawyer and you don't want to call in, you can reach us at askmikeconnors at gmail.com. That's askmikeconnors at gmail.com. And remember, that's Connors spelled with C-O-N-N-O-R-S, not C-O-N-N-E-R-S, C-O-N-N-O-R-S, askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Right, and you can ask us any question. You know, even if it's not about estate planning, elder law, we can get you to another lawyer who can answer your questions usually. Now, guys, let me, you know, Dave, what do you do for a living? Uh, Mike, I'm a senior court clerk for the Appellate Term Supreme Court. Steve? I'm a Nassau County police officer. I'm in the Homeland Security Unit, and I'm a colonel in the Army Reserve. Well, both of you guys have been in the reserves and so forth. How many years, Dave, how many years have you been overseas? I did uh, three tours in Iraq, so three years total when I was in the Army Reserve. Steve? I, I also did three years. I did a year in Afghanistan, a year in Iraq, and a year in East Africa. 
Yeah, and I, I remember you were on the show. Some people may remember you on the show a few years ago, and you talked about what you were doing in East Africa. You want to tell the audience again? Yeah, so um, we were helping uh, our Kenyan allies along with um, some of the other uh, East African countries uh, who are helping us in Somalia against uh, uh, the insurgency going on there in Somalia. Uh, basically training them from everything from the use of mortars, sniper training, special operations, uh, calling in medevacs, airstrikes. So we're trying to enable our partners in that region of the world to um, uh, fight al-Shabaab and other uh, al-Qaeda-like organizations without putting our own boots on the ground and uh, at the same time uh, doing sort of like a sharing of best practices to try to enable them to be more successful, whether it's counter IED, uh, logistics, or uh, any other number of military uh, um, MOSs that we have here in a, in a westernized military. You know, I think a lot of us in the United States, like, we really don't distinguish between Somalia, Kenya, whatever. I mean, you're there. You know it's different countries. Right. So um, right now in Somalia, we, we never really left Somalia. Everyone thinks, like, the movie Black Hawk Down, we kind of, like, left after that. We really didn't. We still have a presence there. Um, trying to help that country right now. Now, there is a free and democratic government that is struggling against uh, outside forces, so we're helping to establish that. We don't have a formal ambassador to Somalia right now. We have a senior representative from the State Department who fills that role but works out of the embassy in Nairobi in Kenya, and that's the new embassy, obviously, that was built after the other one was attacked in the 1990s. Okay. Dave, where you three times in Iraq? Yeah, three times in Iraq. As a logistics officer, really, we're bringing the direct support right in theater to the war fighters. My first tour, for example, I was at the Biop, the Baghdad International Airport, which became King Victory. So we would make sure the convoys went to the FOBs. The FOBs are called forward Osprey bases. So really, like I said, it's the beans and bullets right to direct war fighters right there in Iraq for all three tours. Okay. You guys have had any regrets about Suleimani being uh, killed? <laughs> that, that it wasn't a few years earlier because a number of our brothers and sisters. Yeah, I mean, uh, Marines, uh, I've uh, had friends of mine killed. Yeah. Um, this man does have, did have blood on his hands. And uh, it, what upsets me is people trying to somehow defend this guy um, as being some kind of an icon. Uh, yeah. Someone comparable to here in the United States. I think one commentator said he was like their version of Elvis or right. Princess Diana. Oh, that's right. I yeah. mean, I, originally they were calling him a statesman. This man was a bloodthirsty terrorist, and I'm so glad he's met his end. And, and let's not kid ourselves. I mean, I, I'm a reserve officer, but I've been a professional army officer. This man was not. He was basically a rabble rouser who was involved in the 79 takeover of the embassy. He was basically a, uh, um, you know, uh, sort of a more of a rabble-rouser, not a professional soldier who just just because he puts on a uniform, calls himself a general, doesn't make him a general. Yeah, makes uh, him a terrorist. Right. Exactly he's he's he not a, comparable to someone like Colin Powell or General Schwarzkopf or someone like that, like, like he's been made out to by some of the critics of the president's actions. Yeah, like even Father Paul on the morning show today said the Middle East is better off without him. Exactly. You no, know, and Absolutely. that's a Franciscan priest who's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's not quite as hardcore as you guys. <laughs> Um, you know, now, later in the show, we're going to have uh, two two other guests on. We're going to have Brian Birch from the Catholic Vote 
And we're also going to replay uh, an interview we did some years back, Orson Bean. Do you guys remember Orson Bean at all? You know, I remember him in the movie being John Malkovich. It's a very odd film. <laughs> and he played I didn't see that one, yeah. yeah. If you haven't seen the film, it is one of the oddest films ever made with John Cusack. It's, it's worth – you could probably easily stream it, but being John Malkovich – and John Malkovich is in the film too. So what did Orson Bean do in that film? Um, he was the doctor in the film. It wasn't a large role, but it, I do remember him from that, that, that one particular uh, film, which was – Stands out to mind. Yeah, like I, I was telling you guys before the show, I remember when, when I was a teenager or whatever, I was watching the Johnny Carson show, and Orson Bean was always on the Johnny Carson show. He talks about that. And they started talking politics. He says, listen, i got to warn you, I'm to the right of Attila the Hun. <laughs> you know, that's the first time I ever heard that. Rush, of course, used it, you know. Right. Years later or whatever, but this is years before Rush Limbaugh, you know, be, so he, became popular. I guess he coined the term right to the till on. <laughs> yeah, That's great. So. Good for him. <laughs> and Brian Birch, you know, well, uh, Brian Birch, part of it is, and, and we'll be talking about it a little bit, but he's there's some of the guys who's helped start get the Catholic Covington kid uh, going in that lawsuit, and they were very active in that. And, you know, I, I met at one of their meetings, I met uh, Father Miss Stanford, and what his son went through is unbelievable. When he was driving home that night after the incident, you know, it was all over the news that the principal was going to expel him uh, Tuesday right. morning. You oh, know? Wonderful. Yeah. yeah and yeah, I mean, I remember a, that now, whole, right. you know, some of the teachers then went up and, and said, wait a minute, the kid didn't do anything. He was just standing there. But at the same time, that's what he heard over the, the radio. The bishop of Covington did not stand up for him. That's a shame. And, and I mean, you know, a lot of times I think yeah. some of our clerics don't stand up as no, you know as much correct. as they should be. And correct me if I'm wrong, he still hasn't gotten an apology from the principal. Right, or the bishop. That's that's a disgrace. And yeah. truth be told, he was trying to defuse the situation. He was exactly. actually trying right. to stand get between the yeah. himself and his right. classmates. But the rush to judgment with the social media these days, it's just mind-boggling. Look, it's just little Robespierre's with Twitter accounts all over it's the place. Well said. Yeah. I'll tell you what, let's answer one more question and then we'll take a break. Alright, the next one is from Frank. Hi, Mr. Connors. What is a pooled trust, and how does that help my mom get qualified for Medicaid? Okay, well, that's a good question. Now, pooled trust, it's a pooled income trust. Let's say if you're over 65 or disabled and you want to qualify for home care Medicaid, in that case, let's say you have an income of roughly 2000 a month. Well, in theory, under the Medicaid rules today, you have $1,005 too much income. So how do you qualify for Medicaid in that case? Well, you put $1,005 a month of income in the pooled income trust. It's managed for a not-for-profit, you know, approved by Medicaid. And in, in that case, that that money in the pooled income trust, if you rent, it pays for your rent. If you have a house, it's great because then we pay for the expenses on the house. And anybody, if you own a house, you know there are always a lot of expenses. Let's say you're, you're living with your kids and you don't have any rent and you don't own a house. Well, it can pay for your food. You can pay for gas, electric, cable, uh, you know, Pretty much any kind of expense. In, in fact, in some cases right now, we you know use it to prepay a funeral. Or you want to buy a car, you can buy a car, you know, and make the car payments from the pooled income trust. You can use it for virtually any other, any reason. You can't buy a gun with it, unfortunately. You know, I think we have, especially in this state, right? Right in this state, we can't do it. But um, we can't do it in any state. But and you can't buy alcohol and you can't buy uh, tobacco. But you can buy almost anything. Okay, I hear the music. We're going. Thank you. 
How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, it's an election this year, and it's important to vote. Right now, I have Brian Birch from Catholic Vote. Welcome to the show. Great to be on. Brian, we're talking, before we got on the air, we were talking about what issues are there in this year's presidential campaign, and and what should Christians be aware of? Yeah, Christians should be interested in every issue, For number one. There are obviously certain issues that are a bigger priority, given their moral substance and given the impact they have on the larger culture. Uh, Catholics obviously have an understanding of certain preeminent issues, like the right to life, uh, marriage, religious liberty, those are obviously shared beyond the Catholic Church. Uh, but there are other issues. I, uh, I think this election in particular, uh, people paying attention recognize there are some big, larger questions about the future of this country that are essentially on the ballot, whether we are going to continue to prioritize uh, the natural institution of the family, how we understand gender and biology. Heck, whether or not we as a country still hold fast to the idea of of a nation, the idea of a nation, whether a nation should have borders, whether a nation should have common values that we can uh, promote and and hold in esteem and not feel ashamed about uh, th- those values. And so I, I think in many ways, this election is about all of the big issues. What exactly is your purpose? What are you trying to do with, with Catholic Vote? Well, I guess any astute observer would recognize there's a lot of work to be done in the Catholic vote among Catholics. So I think our primary purpose is to help educate and mobilize Catholic voters 
to, so that we can prioritize the, the, the vision of the church in American public life. Um, there's a lot of uh, work to be done because of mistakes and maybe intentional uh, uh, confusion that's been spread in the church over the last several decades. Many, many Catholics do not understand their faith. And then even for those that do, it's very difficult at times to try to see how that might be applied to particular circumstances, like elections. And so we helped, as one bishop said, the church paints the dots, we help connect them. Abortion, right to life. You know, I know a lot of Catholics feel, okay, well, I don't like this guy who, I don't, I, I don't believe in abortion, I, I believe in right to life, but this candidate's a good guy on immigration. This guy's a good guy on social issues, and I'm I'm going to vote for the uh, for the Democrat. Well, the church I think is pretty clear on this. Uh, you go back and look at what the documents that even the U.S. bishops have written uh, that the right to life is foundational. If you get that issue wrong, you you get everything wrong. Uh, if you don't have the right to life, you can't have any other rights. There's no need for health care, or there's no need to protect the vir- environment, etc. If you're not alive in the first place. Now, prior to that, there's the moral question. Is the issue of the destruction of millions of innocent, unborn, unborn, vulnerable human lives every year? In your own state, obviously, even babies that are born that are subject to the choice of a mother, whether or not that baby should live, that issue goes to the very heart of the moral fabric of this country. And if we can't agree on that, if we can't get that right, then it's going to be very difficult for us to come to any consensus on any other issue. So any society or any culture, for that matter, has to come together on some basic fundamental things. And, and the, the moral substance of this issue and also the, the larger political and cultural implications of getting uh, finding agreement on that is essential. Let me ask you now, what exactly is Catholic Vote going to try to do about this upcoming election? We're going to try to get as many Catholics as possible that are practicing Catholics, that believe in the faith, that understand it as as well as they can to vote. Uh, We cite a stat, and we've done our research, as much as 30% or more of every Catholic parish, of those that attend church regularly, I'm not just talking about the parish directories, I'm talking about people in the pews every Sunday, 30% or more are either not registered to vote or they are registered non-voters. We're talking millions and millions of, of votes that are sitting on the sidelines every election of people that in many ways largely agree with what we think a good Catholic, how a good Catholic ought to vote. And so we're talking about some of these swing states, particularly the upper Midwest, looking at Florida, Arizona, a couple other states, North Carolina, Colorado. Particularly in the upper Midwest, though, the Catholic vote is 25, 27% of the vote. You start to move even small numbers by parish, 100, 200, 300 votes by parish. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of votes in each state of Catholics alone that could truly be transformative. And we're working on identifying those people and we using some new technology to do that. And we're going to be um, mobilizing them through uh, really uh, the largest and most sophisticated effort in the history of the Catholic Church in America. How can somebody, and we'll ask you again, but how can somebody find more about Catholic Vote? Where can they contribute to your cause? The best way is on our website, catholicvote.org. Go to the website. We put out a morning newsletter called The Loop. It's free. It's the best way to keep up on the news and keep up on what we are doing. 
So sign up for the loop, and then you'll start getting our emails. We start explaining some of the things we're doing, how we're uh, identifying uh, Catholic voters that are regularly attending church and how you can reach out to them, especially if you live in some of these big battleground states that are going to be important in November. We're going to be looking for volunteers on the ground, things you can do in your parishes. And if you live in a state that's not a battleground state, I know New York, a lot of people might be kind of discouraged thinking, well, look, we're, we're done and we're, we already know the outcome. That's not true. You can you can reach fellow Catholics in targeted states, and we're going to provide some ways for, for Catholics to talk to Catholics to try to encourage them and make sure they turn out. What about congressional elections? Well, budget permitting, obviously, we're focused on the presidency. We're focused on some key Senate races. And in those states where there's some swing House races, we're obviously going to be uh, focused there as well. Uh, obviously, the uh, the numbers are pretty pretty difficult, and historically speaking, uh, it's uh, the party out of power doesn't retake the House during a presidential cycle. Uh, almost nearly every single time a party has taken con- control of Congress has always been in a midterm. There's different reasons for that. The energy is usually much higher on the party out of power at that time. Uh, but we do think there's some important House races, particularly, um, you know, you have 31 districts that Donald Trump won that are now held by Democrats. And some of those those seats are uh, very much up for grabs. And uh, we're looking at a number of them. I first heard about you guys because your support for the Sandman family. And can you tell some of the listeners, yeah, it's on the news every once in a while, but I don't think the whole story's on the news. What happened to, to Nick Sandman and his family? Well, it's certainly a longer story. I could go into more detail, and some of it is available out there, and we've spent some time with the family. And really, after I first saw the story on the news, I reached out, told them, look, there's a lot of people that aren't buying this nonsense that somehow your son was an anti-Native American bigot who was flaunting his MAGA hat in his guy's face when the video showed exactly the opposite. Uh, This kid, innocent kid, stood his ground, did not insult. He did not talk back. He stood there, mouth closed, firm, refusing to back down to the intimidation of this Native American activist, uh, who incidentally is extremely anti-Catholic. The next day, he tried to storm and disrupt mass at the National Cathedral. Uh, uh, so, So Nick was framed. He was framed by the media. They claimed that he was, you know, this bigot who was this pro-Trump uh, kid, and this is what pro-lifers are all about. Uh, and the media took a selective clip from uh, video taken uh, at uh, uh, on the National Mall, and they spread it around, and they they ruined this kid's reputation. Uh, he had to basically go into hiding. Uh, left-wing activists were camped outside his house. He was receiving death threats. His parents were receiving threats at work. This went on for weeks. The school shut down because of bomb threats, all because an innocent kid chose to stand his ground and did not buckle to the intimidation of this Native American anti-Catholic bigot himself. Uh, obviously, Nick uh, uh, not only stood his ground then, but he eventually hired a law firm, and they sued. They sued CNN. They sued the Washington Post. They sued NBC. And just last week, the family was able to... Uh, uh, settle at least one of those lawsuits for an undisclosed amount, although I think given that the lawsuit was for several hundred million dollars, obviously they likely didn't get that amount, but they got something substantial. 
Um, and I think what this shows is that the, the media does not have unlimited license to smear and destroy people's lives for political purposes today. And this kid is a hero. I think every Catholic or every Christian who's pro-life should be heralding his example and to teaching their own kids that, look, you stand up for what you believe, you be respectful, but you don't back down. And the media can't uh, say and, and smear you uh, and destroy you. Um, and he, he's been vindicated. And, and I think the media has been put on notice. Uh, and this is, this is good news. For the audience, how old was Nick Salmon when this happened to him? Good question. I think he was about 16. He's yeah. certainly a minor. He was under 18. He's only uh, in, uh, you know, freshman, sophomore in high school. Yeah, and I mean to have to have a young man at that age to go through the death threats, the the threat of of being expelled from school. I understand that uh, when he when he's riding the bus back from the Right to Life march, he thought he was going to be expelled the next day. He was in school. That was going around. That's exactly it. He started to read what was being said about him. He he realized, and just imagine being a six year old kid. You stand your ground. You don't back down. You get on a bus and you start reading all these stories about how you were this racist white kid who is a bigot and how you insulted this Native American man. And uh, you realize you've been totally framed. And he gets no support initially, by the way, from his local diocese and from his school. Some of that started to change as as the story started to be covered properly. Uh, And yeah, he uh, actually, a funny story, his mom told me, you know, he gets off the bus 5 a.m. after the overnight trip home uh, he can't find his wallet, and his mom says, "Now, Nick, you, you got to learn to be responsible. Get back on that bus and find that wallet." And he looks around, and he can't find it anywhere. And eventually, uh, his mom said, "You know, you're getting to be older now. You got to learn to behave like an adult." And and uh, he said he turned to his mom and said, "Mom, I think the wallet is going to be the least of our problems." Uh, little did she know what he was about to tell her next, and and that whole story of a family coming to grips with their son being framed and attacked by the media and ultimately now being vindicated is is something I think will be told for, for many years. Let's get back to the election coming up. Can you explain why it's, it's kind of like a moral obligation for Christians, Catholics, Protestants, evangelicals to vote? Sure. Well, I think at a base level, we have this great gift of freedom in this country that we very easily can take for granted. This is something historically uh, is most people don't have this blessing, and that blessing is not something guaranteed. Uh, it requires perseverance and dedication and, and action and, and, and engagement by the, the citizens of, of free country. And so at a, at, a, at a very basic level, I think that's important. Apart from that, we have an obligation to participate in this process because our very livelihoods, the very livelihoods of our institutions themselves are increasingly at stake. The progressive wing in this, in this country is, is become more and more explicit about what their agenda is. They are suing and they're proposing new policies to shut down our, our, our adoption programs, shut down our schools, uh, ultimately, um, uh, eventually bankrupt the church, certainly limit our freedom to preach and act upon what we believe as Christians. Um, and that's just the, that's just the start. Uh, their worldview is entirely hostile to everything that we hold dear. And this is the purpose of politics is to, 
engage in public rigorous debate over these questions and to elect people that will protect us, um, enact laws, name judges. And, and I think the judges thing is a big, big piece here. You know, presidents serve for four or eight years. They serve two terms. The average term of a federal judge is 25 years. That's over six presidential terms. And so the, the president, President Trump in particular, he's, he's busy uh, uh, naming judges to the judiciary. These judges are going to be here for the next several decades. And as we've learned over the last 40 years, judges increasingly are um, the, the final stop on the road of law. And this is going to ensure, particularly if trends continue, that we have a federal judiciary that's going to protect our rights as well. All right. So if you want to support the agenda, again, where does somebody learn more about Catholic Vote? CatholicVote.org, www.catholicvote.org. The best way there is to sign up for our emails. Don't worry. We don't inundate people. We don't uh, we, we only send an email. We have something that we think is interesting and worth reading, uh, which is usually once or twice a week, unless you want to get the loop, which is a daily email every morning. But that's the best way to keep up with us. Uh, you can support us there if you believe in what we're doing, understand and share our passion for helping Catholics to understand their faith and take it into the voting booth. Uh, we'd be grateful for, for your listener support. Brian, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you so much, guys, and God bless. God bless you. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. 
That's jwcigiving.org. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Now, some of you remember a great trial movie called Anatomy of the Murder, where you have Jimmy Stewart and George C. Scott duking it out in court. And the movie centers upon a psychiatrist who talks about irresistible impulse. Well, right now, we're very pleased to have that psychiatrist, or at least the man who played the psychiatrist, the great Orson Bean. How are you doing today? Better than I deserve, my man. I'm surprised you remember that me in that movie. Well, you you do an extraordinary performance, even though it's a very short part. It's the center of the movie. I mean, that's why the guy gets off, because of you. Yeah, but my experience was that I was working with the great Jimmy Stewart and seeing how totally relaxed he was, and I was a nervous wreck. It was my first movie. I was going over my lines, going over them, and there sits Jimmy Stewart playing cards with a stagehand, and somebody comes over and says, ready for your scene, Mr. Stewart. And Stewart says, don't touch my cards, and goes off and delivers this incredible performance, comes back, pick up the cards, and starts playing again. I said, wow, if I can ever get like that. Well, I guess that's a good way to start in films. Sure. Now, but- uh, you know, also a lot of people, you remember you from, you know, being on the, the talk shows and whatever, and... You know, and years later, I think, I, I was surprised to find out that you were on Desperate Housewives. Yeah, I, uh, you didn't watch that. That's a show for women. We don't want to see us guys. We don't want to see a show where the, where the housewives sleep with each other's husbands. That's what the women like. I'm not surprised you didn't even know I was on it. <laughs> yeah, I had to find that out from the Internet and some of my staff members here. Yeah. Now, I understand you have a new book that's out. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, it's called Safe and Home. It's really, um, it's the story of my childhood, how I grew up. Uh, it touches on my showbiz career, but it really isn't about showbiz. And, and it ends up with uh, how I became a Christian. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's a kind of an all-purpose book that I published so that when my grandchildren grow up and ask, was Grandpa really that weird, they'll be able to find out the details. And, of course, I guess a major part then is how did you become a Christian? Well, because I tried everything else, and it all worked for a while. I tried fame and success and money and uh, sex and rock and roll and drugs, and they all worked for a while. But I was greedy to be happy. My earliest remember, remembrance, Mike, as a little boy, was saying, I will be happy someday. I will. I will be happy. I was determined. And if you're determined to be happy, you try a lot of stuff. And when it doesn't work, you keep going. You don't shoot yourself. You keep trying. And finally, one day, I said to a guy, I don't know what to do. He said, get down on your knees and... And um, thank God every morning for your night's sleep. And do the same thing at night. Get down on your knees and thank him for the day. And I said, well, I don't know if I believe in God. He says, well, that's okay. Just do it. I said, why do I have to get on my knees? He said, he likes it. So all else having failed, I followed the instructions. I got on my knees morning and night and said that little little. 10-second prayer. If there's anybody there, thank you for my night's sleep. And at night, if there's anybody there, thank you for my day. I felt like a fool, but I kept doing it. And I kept doing it. And finally, it stopped feeling foolish and began to feel comforting. And finally, I began to realize that somebody or something was there listening to me. And I said, okay, I'll use the G word, God. And I kept going, and I read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. 
and I read about Jesus, and I don't know if I go for all of the rigmarole surrounding Christianity. I kind of think I will uh, deal direct with the maker for big savings and leave out the middleman. I do go to church, but mainly I've developed a close relationship with Jesus, and it makes me happy. It makes me a better husband, a better grandpa, and a better actor. Okay, and how long ago was this conversion? Well, it was probably about uh, almost 20 years ago, but it's been deepening ever since. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. I love it. What did you believe in before that time? Uh, well, W.C. Fields once said, everybody has to believe in something, and I believe I'll have another drink. <laughs> I mean, you know, because I think a lot of people out there might be a little surprised because, you know, you're you're too sophisticated, too intelligent, too witty to believe in God. I know, I know. And, you know, there's an old story about an apple and a, and a horse bun floating down the river, and they float for three days, and the horse bun says to the apple, we've been floating a long time, haven't we? And the apple says, where'd you get that wee stuff? Well, a lot of people feel that way about Christians, and they can be a pain in the butt and self-centered and holier than thou. And I say, all right, to hell with it. Uh, I love God, I love Jesus, and, and I also love a good, dirty joke. I mean, if I was hanging around with Christ at the time, I'm sure he would have said, tell the one about the two Pharisees. <laughs> now, uh, okay, so is there any backlash, let's say, you know, in Hollywood against Christians? Sure there is, but they don't take me seriously. They say, he's an old guy, leave him alone. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't proselytize and I don't try to convert anybody. I believe in, uh, in, you know, just being happy. And if people start sniffing around and say, why, what, why do you like that? How come you're 85 years old and you're still horny for your wife and you're still like getting up there and acting? And how come? And then I'll, I might tell them a little bit. And if they scoff, they scoff. I don't care. But you don't think you've lost employment because of it? I don't really think so. I, I, you know, if I do, I don't care. I don't care. I have nine grandchildren. <laughs> I have pl plenty to do without working. I'm about to open in a wonderful play in a very fancy theater in L.A. We're doing previews right now. The audiences are eating it up, and I just got a great story in the local paper, the Los Angeles Times. So, you know, I don't think I, anybody is bothered by the fact that I seem to be happier than a lot of the people around me. So the book is self safe at home. I'm sorry. <laughs> safe at safe home. home. You can get and it And where Amazon. can somebody... What? Amazon? Amazon, you can get it, sure. Right, so you type in Orson Bean, safe at home, and you'll come up with it. That's right. And another thing you can do is you can Google Orson Bean jokes, and I have ten short jokes. They've gotten thousands of hits. It's a lecture on how to tell a joke properly. Nobody knows how to tell a joke. I'll tell you a joke, all right? the right Go way. Ahead. A guy needs a lawyer. He looks in the yellow page. He sees Schwartz, 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 and Schwartz. He calls up. He says, let me speak to Mr. Schwartz, please. He says, he's out playing golf. He'll be back at three. He says, then let me speak to Mr. Schwartz. He says, he's in Chicago on business. He's expected to return on Thursday. He says, then let me speak to Mr. Schwartz. He says, he passed away some years ago. He's no longer with the firm. He says, then let me speak to Schwartz. He says, speaking. <laughs> Thanks for the laugh, Mike. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for your career. You know, like uh, you're, you're, you're one you know, very unique performer, and you've entertained a lot of people over the years, and hopefully your insights into Jesus and God is, is going to help save some other people. Well, bless your heart. Uh, it was good talking to you, and you sound like one of the guys I used to hang out with. There was, 
I li- grew up in uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and there was a area, a neighborhood called Kerry Corner, because there were so many Irishmen from County Kerry there. They called it Kerry Corner, and they used to hang out on Saturday night and listen to the guys singing in the bars. But around 11:30, the fights would break out, and they would tumble out onto the sidewalk and have a really great fight to cap the evening. Well, my father used to own a bar here in uh, Brooklyn for about 30 years. And his, and his grandfather was born in County Kerry. Ah, so. well, there you are, you see. My, my, my paternal grandfather was an Irishman from Belfast, and apparently, according to legend, was so full of it that his nickname was the Englishman. <laughs> now, is that true? <laughs> it is alleged to be true. I grew up hearing it. Okay, do you have a few minutes more? Sure. Okay, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. My special guest tonight is Orson Bean. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone. But the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. The pro-life movement is winning. One of the signs of progress is the growing mountain of medical evidence that abortion harms women, men, and families. Even researchers who identify themselves as pro-choice are coming to this conclusion and publishing their research. Abortion advocates try to hide and bury this information. But so much of it continues to come out that their efforts to hide it will not succeed much longer. Abortion really destroys itself. The more it continues, the more it reveals itself as an enemy of the human family. Those who advocate abortion say they care about women's health. But if they do, then they will have no honest rationale for ignoring the harm that abortion does. As the mountain of medical evidence against abortion grows, so should our hope that it will end. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. We're speaking right now to Orson Bean, and we were talking about his book, Safe at Home, and he was also talking about uh, growing up in Cambridge and hanging out in an Irish bar, I guess. is uh, What happened after that? I, I wasn't old enough to be in the bar. I was outside the bar oh. listening to them sing, If you ever go across the sea to Ireland, then maybe at the closing of your day, oh, they would slap each other in the back and cry and laugh. And then around 11.30, bam, hey, I think I lost a tooth. 
Well, how'd you get into show business? Well, I was given a magic set when I was 10 years old, and I never recovered. I'm still a member of the Magic Castle, and I can still do 20 minutes of magic at the children's school Halloween festival. So I developed the Magic Act. World War II was on, and all the magicians were off fighting the Axis. So I started to get work in nightclubs when I was still in high school. So I, I, I went into the Army myself right after the war in '46, and I spent a year on occupation duty in Japan doing the act to get out of KP. And I came back and began working professionally. And I, I, uh, I gradually dropped the magic and became a stand-up comic. My opening line in those days was, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Orson Bean, Harvard 48. Pause. Yale nothing. No laughs. I'm working at the Moose Club in Braintree, Massachusetts, or the Veterans of Foreign Wars Hall in Secaucus, New Jersey. But gradually, I developed an act that was pretty sophisticated, and I walked into a club in New York called the Blue Angel. I was 21 years old. I had no agent. I had no manager. I didn't know any better. But like the bumblebee who doesn't know he can't fly, he goes ahead and flies anyway. I walked in and said, I want to audition for you. And the guy said, say something funny. I said, belly button. He looked down at the floor for a minute and looked up with a half smile. And he said, okay, I'm short an act. You can go on tonight. I got laughs for the first time, got a big write-up in Walter Winchell's column, and my career took off. Now, eventually you got into TV. Mm. In the early days mm. of TV, it was live, of course, and if you made a mistake, that was it. But it was a great training ground. And so I, I began working in shows on Broadway and doing game shows in the afternoon. And uh, I did To Tell the Truth for seven years. I sat between Kitty Carlisle on my left with a fancy lady with a feather boa. And on my right was Peggy Cass from Boston. I used to call her the ward healer's daughter. How you doing, Arson? And uh, in those days, they cast the panel of a game show the way they did a sitcom. So in addition to the game being funny, the interaction between the panelists was entertaining. So I did all of those shows. I did, uh, I did the, also did The Tonight Show. I, I guest hosted The Tonight Show over 100 times. And I worked uh, as a guest with Johnny 96 times. I know the number because when he retired, NBC released the top 10 most frequent guests, and I always tell people I was just under, you'll pardon the expression, Charles Nelson Riley. <laughs> All right, so, you know, here's one of the things. You're still around. Yeah, apparently. You know, 50, I'm 60 years later. <laughs> what right. was the last thing you said? But you're still working. Yes, I'm about to open in a play here in L.A., a wonderful world premiere of a play from uh, written by this hotshot New York writer who came out here to L.A. and and uh, you know we'll have we're doing preview audiences that that means people that come before the official opening and that way we see where the laughs are and where the suspense is and next week we open and wait for the reviews and um, so I'm still working I love it that part of my brain that can learn lines works at my age I can memorize a whole play in three days names of close acquaintances elude me I say to my wife, what's the red-headed grandson's name, honey? But a whole play I can learn. <laughs> All right, maybe you should just write out the names of the grandchildren. And... <laughs> All right, I'll think, of, I'll think of them as characters. They're making in characters a in a play. Yeah. <laughs> so what's, after the play, what's next? I don't know. I'll wait and see what God puts in my lap. I'm going to come back east with, with everybody. I'm taking all 
20 of the grandchildren and the kids and everything to visit my neighbors in in uh, in the north shore of massachusetts for a wonderful week at the beach oh that sounds pretty good yes. anything planned in the new york area uh, no, I keep a little apartment there on uh, 73rd and Amsterdam, one block north of Gray's Papaya. And I get in every once in a while, see a couple of shows, but I don't uh, plan on working in New York because I live out here and the, and the grandchildren live really close to me. They're in the house all the time. If I would have known, I would have invested in Oreos. I'd be rich. All right, so listen, if you're out here in New York, give us a call. You're always welcome to come on the show. And again, safe at home. Yeah. Look for Horse it on Amazon. It's a, I think you'll like the book. Okay, well, we'll get it soon, and we'll take a look at it. Thank you, Orson. Bless your heart. Bye. Okay, guys, now, rest in peace, Orson Bean. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, some of you, I, I assume most of you have heard about this, but Orson Bean was tragically killed in a car accident uh, about two weeks ago, and that's why we replayed the, uh, you know, the, the segment. And... Uh, Something you, some people may not realize this, but Orson Bean's son-in-law was Andrew Breitbart from Breitbart News, and Orson occasionally would write columns for uh, Breitbart News. And and you know he's a gentleman, Michael. I know you saw you, you told me he was in that movie with uh, Denzel Washington. Right. Very recently, he was in The Equalizer too. He played the cab driver, and that you know he clearly had a great time with that role. Um, Pretty solid action movie, too. But, yeah, no, it, it's just a tragedy what happened. So it's appropriate, you know, opening and closing with hallowed ground, especially for this today. Yeah, but Orson, Fine. you know, Orson Bean, rest in peace. You know, Absolutely. He's going to be missed, and, uh, you know, I, I was talking, you know, off the air. Part of the reason I think that he's not as well-remembered as he is because he did a lot of TV. And TV, you know, you do a Tonight Show, it's forgotten a week later. You do, a, you know, Hollywood mm -hmm. Squares or a What's My Line. Two weeks later, it's remembered. But back then, you'd see him on TV all the time. He was constantly working, and he he always seemed to have you know a good sense of humor and seemed to be a kind man. And thank God he found God at the uh, yeah, you know absolutely. last part of his life. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Now I got to apologize to someone listens out there. I said you know this is Black History Month. I said we were going to do uh, uh, an interview about Oscar Charleston. But that'll be played next week. Now, Oscar Charleston was a great Negroes League's, you know, ball player. Some people say he was the greatest player who ever was in, in the Negro Leagues. And we're going to be talking about him next week, uh, you know, Black History Month. And in the week after that for Black History Month, we're going to be talking about uh, the athletes in the 1936 Olympics, you know, the Hitler right. Right. Olympics, Berlin whatever. Games. Yeah, and, and the, the African Americans that were in that. So, you know. Yeah, it'd be good to focus on other athletes besides Jesse Owens. You know, so right, right. Yeah, everybody knows about Jesse great. Owens. And, right. and, you know, to be honest with you, I don't really don't even know about the 1936 Olympics. Who won how many medals? I have no idea. I thought you attended them. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I attended games in the polo grounds in New York Mets. I saw right, Ron okay, Hunt okay, playing in the polo grounds <laughs> and some of those other guys. Uh, of uh, which I'm very jealous. I would love to see the Mets in the polo grounds. Yeah. But well, I, wasn't, I wasn't born yet. <laughs> yeah, I know, but, you, you know, like it was a great experience, you know, in 1962. I, when you walk out of the field in a night game or something, the green grass or something, like they don't really have that that green that you they know, used that to feeling, have. Right? I know you're yeah. saying. Yeah, I've seen it in minor league parks. Like the one we went in was in Rhode Island, the Boston Red Sox. Portucket. Portucket, Rhode Island, which is Oh, a, yeah, I was in that ballpark it was once, a w so a friend of mine pitched up you've there. You've seen it, a WPA project built like in 1931. Hmm. You want to go back in time? Okay. 
make time, go up there and see the board. Yeah, if you're a baseball fan, you definitely want to be there. And it was actually the longest professional game that ever took place, took place there. They had to actually break it up and replay the uh, start the the game again. Oh, yeah, I remember that, yeah. And um, even Japanese baseball fans go there like it's a shrine just to say that they were there. The field is level with the the dugout. Yes. And you don't see that anymore. This is the last Mm -hmm. stadium probably – the country that has and, that. And, and, and truth be told, of course, developers wanted to knock it down and destroy yeah, right, it because that's what we do in our history, yeah, unfortunately, in this the, country. Uh, the town saved it. It's yes, really, they did. It's really so, a treat. Yeah. But I would tell, go see it. You never know what will happen, you know. Right. It's like, it's like going back in time. Yeah. All really right. Okay. How are the Mets going to do this year? They're going to win the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good. We don't have to play the season or whatever. Okay. I remember the New Jersey Devils will win the Stanley Cup in, I would say, I'm going to say it right now, three years from now, New Jersey Devils will win the Stanley Cup. You know, talking about right hockey. here first. Talking about <laughs> hockey, let's uh, just want to mention an old friend of ours, John Potfan, who used to be on the show quite a bit. He's had some health problems and he's recovering now, but say a prayer for John because Absolutely. You know, he's he's had a liver transplant. Okay. A lot of well, a lot of bad things have happened to him. Okay. Thank All you for listening to Ask the right. Lawyer. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mike. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. This hour is sponsored by Connors & Sullivan, Attorneys at Law, PLLC.